Hello, and welcome to First Importance, the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer today is that you will be blessed and encouraged by the message to come. The sun must have beat down harder and hotter that evening that Abraham walked his promised son up Mount Moriah. Don't you think? He had the wood in one hand, a knife in the other, and Isaac and he had left their company that they were traveling with to travel up the mountain to sacrifice to the Lord. The question had already arose in all of their minds. But as the sun beat down on their backs, I can picture Isaac doing the math. I see the wood and I see the sword. But my father, where's the lamb? that we are to sacrifice. And Abraham responded to his son, my son, the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. Earlier that day, God had commanded Abraham to take his only son, his promised son, his son in his older years, the one who he had been waiting for. He, God commanded him, take that son on top of Mount Moriah and sacrifice him me. So they walked up that mountain together. The altar was made. The wood was laid. Isaac was bound. The knife was in hand. And as Abraham raised the knife with what all energy he could muster, with all of the emotion and strength and self-control, he pulled that knife up ready to plunge it down into his only son when an angel appeared and cried out to Abraham, you have not withheld your only son. I provided a ram for you. And when Abraham looked over into a thicket, there was a ram. And he looked to his son in Genesis chapter 22 in verse 14 and he called that mountain he renamed that mountain jehovah jireh the lord will provide and from that moment forward all of the people around that area would look to that mountain and it was a common saying to them on the mount of the lord it will be provided our text today in John chapter 6 speaks of and is a fulfilling of, in part, this declaration of Abraham millennia before. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in John chapter 6? The Gospel of John in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we will see through verse 15, the God who provides. Hear now the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus went on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. 
Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I do not have the ability to preach your truth, your glory here. I just have flesh and my lips are just made of flesh and I just pray that you would anoint this very weak preacher right now to preach the power of your gospel to your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To be honest with you on the list of all of the miracles that Jesus ever performed, growing up, this miracle has always been very low down on my list. There's something about this that just isn't very dramatic. I mean, when you look at the miracles that are really movie-worthy, I mean, we're talking about Jesus walking on water. What is more dramatic? What is more uh, uh, just outright crazy to see than Jesus walking across the waves that are bouncing back and forth because of the storm? Or perhaps even there on the sea as Jesus asleep in the boat is woken up by his disciples exclaiming, look around us. The storm is about to overtake this boat and we will all die. And then Jesus stands up and says, peace, be still. Now that's drama. Or perhaps, perhaps you could even go to the account of any one of the lepers who were healed by Jesus. Oh, the insane amount of liability that was on Jesus' neck when he got close to those lepers. He could get sick. The other people could get sick from that leprosy if it didn't truly work. And yet, Jesus heals the lepers. He caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear. All of the miracles that Jesus performed, so beautiful. But down on my list, like way, way down, has always been this miracle. I guess it's because food is so readily available to us. I mean, just getting to church today, I passed over 20 restaurants and grocery stores just to get here today. And I'm not counting Chick-fil-A because they're not open on Sunday, which I have really mixed feelings about on Sunday. 
Food is so readily available to us at any variety. You want to make a run for the border? Taco Bell's just right down the way. And then there's any number of restaurants that you can go to that you can get that. Are you feeling like Chinese food? Well, we have that here too. You fast food, burgers, hot dogs. What do you feel like when you look around? I mean, Lord knows we have plenty of pizza and chicken places. All of it just readily available to us. And after you eat lunch today, there might be food left on your plate. If you're eating at home, maybe you'll You'll uh, put it in the refrigerator and that'll be leftovers for another meal. Or maybe it's uh, maybe you're going out to eat and you'll have it boxed up and sent home with you. We never have to worry really about food. It's always so easy to get a hold of. But for the people living in the New Testament time, this is not the case. As a matter of fact, there are some and many theologians who would estimate I read this week, upwards of 85% of a family's income was spent on their food. 85%. In several areas where I studied, uh, the, the amount of food that one needed to take in a day to survive cost more than the money that they would make in that day. And so a family would send out many of their family members to work. And many of the family members like to work in places where perhaps their food would be taken care of, uh, taken care of for them. Food was not readily accessible to them. And while this miracle may seem very small to us, it was very, perhaps outside of the resurrection, this would be considered to be the greatest miracle that Jesus performed by those who were living in the first century. After all, it is the only miracle to be written about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them record this. And it is the only miracle to elicit the response from the people that it will elicit from them. We'll get to that at the very end of our study today. And it is the only miracle done in such, I mean, every miracle that Jesus did was wide out and in the open. But this was, I mean, you had 5,000 plus witnesses to what Jesus would do here today in our passage. This would be considered one of the greatest miracles that could be performed. How Jesus provided the meal for those 5,000 out of such a small beginning. But today we're going to see illustrated for us that principle that Abraham understood on Mount Moriah. And that is this, our God is the provider. Our God provides for his people. It is his joy to provide for his people. And today, as we look at this account in the New Testament, we will see vividly illustrated for us why we can trust in God to provide for us his people. If you're taking notes, number one, as we look at God's provision, I want you to see that it is planned. It is a planned provision. Look with me in verse 1 of our text today. After Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Look at our setting. We're connected to chapter 5. Some time has passed, perhaps Eight months has passed since our discussion on chapter 5. 
And Jesus is now in the area of the Sea of Galilee. And people are following him, not because they love him or not because they think he's Lord, but once again, he's a really good show for them. After all, everyone who has a fever, when they go to him, they walk away without one. Everyone who's blind or, or lame or all those people who get around him are healed. And it is a show for the people. We'll find out throughout chapter 6 that they really do not care for Jesus at all. They only care about him tickling their ears. They only care about him entertaining them. So all of these really fair weather fans are gathered around Jesus. And the Bible tells us that it is around the time of Passover. So as we talk about God's provision being planned, I want you to know that this circumstance didn't happen by accident. It's not coincidental. It was planned this way. And it happens around the holiday of Passover. We've talked about Passover a lot here over the last several weeks. And in the Gospel of John, there's a lot of reasons to talk about the Passover. And matter of fact, as we took of the Lord's Supper today, in a way, we look back to the Passover. But when all of those people would gather around Jesus, around the Passover, they would be reminded of God's provision. After all, God's people enslaved and abused in Egypt, having been uh, put underneath the evil Pharaoh's uh, knuckles, they have endured much, much hardship and they've cried out to God and cried out to God. And finally, God sent his servant Moses to proclaim to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, a series of plagues fall upon Egypt and Pharaoh's heart is hardened until God's plan came about the 10th plague. The 10th plague, God would send his angel, the death angel, to come through the streets of Egypt to go to every address and to kill the firstborn in every household. But God told Moses, for my people, here's what you do. You are going to observe the Passover on this night. On the night where all of Egypt will mourn, you will celebrate when the sun goes down, you will slaughter a lamb and you will apply the blood of that lamb on the doorpost. And when my death angel is going through Egypt and he sees the blood, it will pass over that house. And those who are in the house will be safe. And while they were in the house, they were eating the lamb and they were eating unleavened bread and they were celebrating the provision of God. God was going to provide for them, protect them, take them out of that wicked country and take them to a land that he had promised them. Around Passover time, people would be reminded of that journey. They couldn't have possibly packed for all of the food that they would have needed on that journey, nor could have they cultivated it along their journey. But as they got hungry, God poured down bread from heaven for them to eat every day. And the people gathering around Jesus at the time of Passover would have been remembering the provision of their God. The very setting here that God places the people in is a setting reminding them that God's provision is, listen to me, planned. God's provision for you is always planned. 
He's not taken by surprise by circumstances in your life, nor is he scrambling to go back to his treasury or his uh, warehouse to try to find something that he could possibly use to help you out in the trials that you go through. Friends, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, if you're born again, God has planned for your provision. You can bank on it. Jeremiah 29, 11, the Bible says, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future and the plans to give you a hope. God's provision for us is always planned and you can take that truth and you can hold on to it in the most difficult of times. God's not taken by surprise by my circumstances and he's planned to take care of me in the midst of this. Verse five, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. We'll get to the question in just a few moments to Philip. But for right now, let me just remind you again over and over in this passage and throughout scripture, God knows, God has planned to take care of you. Now that does not mean that you will always have everything that you want. As a matter of fact, a lot of things that you and I want get in the way of our sanctification. It gets in the way of what is best for us. What we think is best for us isn't always best for us. And God knows that. And he has planned for your provision here he knew himself what he was going to do secondly not only is the provision planned but i want you to see the power of his provision illustrated so vividly here let's go back again to verse five lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him jesus said to philip where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat down to verse seven philip answered him 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Philip's cash register in his head is going haywire. He knows, the, he is familiar with the area. He grew up around this area and he's beginning to do the math. He looks out on this crowd that is gigantic. The Bible says 5,000 men. It, it, in all likelihood, uh, with children and women, would have been much more, as much from 10,000 to even 25,000 people could have been present. The number is not significant other than it was a multitude, okay? Philip is doing the math. Jesus has presented a problem to him really as an exercise of faith. And Philip fails. Let's see here, all right, carry the two, carry the three. Uh, Jesus, I've estimated that eight months worth of salary would not be enough to feed them even just a little bit of peace. And I got the feeling that if Philip was anything like me, he probably said, and if we did have that eight months of salary, I think I'd tell them to go buy their own food. We come back here, have a picnic, and we use this on something else. Eight months of salary to purchase just enough for everyone to have a little bit. Eight months of salary would not even be enough. Philip's mind went straight to the physical. And how many times believers, when we're presented with a problem, when we're 
presented with a trial, the first thing that we go to is physical answers. Well, Philip might be kind of like us. After all, he would say, doesn't the good book say God helps those who helps themselves? That's in First Corrections chapter 1 and verse 1. Not really in the Bible. Oh, it's fit us well in our pride because then we can say, look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. But the truth of the matter is, and the biblical principle is that God does not, in fact, help those who help themselves, but he helps those who are completely and utterly helpless. That's the condition we were in without him. But Philip's mind is running, kind of like ours. When faced with trials, how can I fix this? What can I do? How can I make this work out better? How can I manipulate this? What, can, what all can I do? That was Philip's mind. Maybe he even was kind of like us. God won't put anything on us that is anything we can't handle. You've heard me say this over and over again. That's not from the Bible. You are unable, I am unable to handle the most minute issues in life. We are unable to handle that. We are deeply broken and flawed. God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who can't help themselves. And God absolutely will put more on you than you can handle so that you'll hand it to the person who can handle it. Jesus asks Philip this question and his response shows a great lack of faith. Verse eight and following, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother speaks up. He's been out milling around the crowd. Andrew always is. He's a people person. He likes to talk uh, to people and meet new people. And he has found a young boy who has brought his lunch. Five barley loaves and two fish. Even Andrew says, but what are these for so many? You know, when we think of barley loaves, we think of like this oblong uh, piece of bread, right? Maybe the artistic cuts across the top. But when we look at the context of this passage, when we look at the language, barley loaves actually look something about like this. Tiny, small. Five of these. I could not feed this crowd with five of these. And yet, all that they have is five of these, and they're barley loaves. Oh my goodness, let me tell you about barley loaves. Contemporary historians in the first century said that barley loaves were meant for wild beasts or the really, really impoverished. So what does that tell you? This little boy comes from a poor family who can't hardly afford the food for their house and what food they can't afford is the least of the least and the worst of the worst. And Andrew says, what are these for so many? I got five loaves, very small. I got two small fish. I thought it would be smart not to bring two small fish up here today. He says, I've got these things, that's all I have. And then what does Jesus say in verse 10? Jesus said, have the people sit down. 
Only Jesus would say something like this because in the hands of Jesus, less is more. If you give him nothing, he'll hang the stars on it. If you give him a pile of dirt, he'll make a man. If you give him a farmer, he'll make him a master engineer who will design, who will build the ark. If you give him a barren senior citizen like Abraham, he will give you a nation. If you give him a mild-mannered shepherd boy, he'll turn him into a warrior hero. If you give him a valley of dry bones, he will give you an army of fit warriors. You give him your poor, unlovely, unwanted barley bread, barely enough for you, and he'll make a feast. five small loaves these two small fish and Jesus almost says well I started out with less than that have them sit down he continues there's much grass in the place so the men sat down about 5,000 in number Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Jesus kept reaching down and pulling out more bread and breaking it and handing it out, just pulling out more bread and breaking it and handing it out. It seemed impossible, but here, these 5,000 plus people saw the omnipotence of God. We've seen him make eyes function properly, and we've seen him make mouths talk properly and legs walk properly, but now we're seeing him not just doing something that is reparative, but he is creating something altogether new out of these five poor barley loaves and he's feeding the 5,000 look at the power of our God here in providing for his people his provision is powerful Isaiah chapter 40 says, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint, nor does he grow weary. So let me ask you a question. What problems do we have that is beyond God's power? And yet we always just take our problems in our own hand. I'll handle the small problems. God, you handle the big problems. Friends, all the problems you have are small to him. He is the infinite, eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, holy, glorious God. Every single problem that you have is small to him. And he is able to meet your needs. Friends, I want you to know that his provision is powerful. It's not weak provision, nor does it lack from inability, but God's provision is powerful. Jesus displays that as these 5,000 plus people see him reaching in to a small little lunch pail and pulling out more and more bread for them to eat. And finally, I want you to see the plenty. We've seen his planned provision. We've seen his powerful provision. Now I want you to see the plenty of his provision. Verse 12, 
And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. 12 baskets. 12 there wasn't that much to begin with, and now they're here, 12 baskets filled with that bread. Everyone had had their fill, everyone had eaten. They had all essentially had an 85% increase in their finances that day. God had taken care of their meal. The power was phenomenal, but look at the plenty, 12 baskets filled. God doesn't leave his people in want. Luke chapter 11, verses 11 to 13, Jesus says, what father among you, if his son asks for fish, will, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It was plenty. God's provision is always enough. And yet we're always questioning him. But God, my personality, but God, my gifts, my talents, they're not what they ought to be. God, this, that, that all these excuses that we constantly put out there to him. God, you can't possibly use me with all of these things that are going on in my life, all my weaknesses. Friends, I want you to know his provision is plenty. In times of grief, in times of joy, if you will cling to him, you will find that he is always enough. Jesus does this miracle and then they collect back 12 baskets and it illustrates for us that he always has more than enough. He's never lacking. The Bible tells us that his grace for us is more than enough. In Ephesians chapter one and verses seven through eight, we learn of his grace, that he is rich in grace and that he has lavished us in his grace. That is, if we were a cup and he were pouring into us his grace, that grace would be constantly pouring, constantly overflowing. That's the grace that he extends to me and to you. And if he did anything less, your sin would have used it up a long time ago. His grace is always sufficient, he told Paul, as Paul battled with a thorn in the flesh. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verses 20 through 21, where our sins increased, his grace increased all the more. You see, God's provision for us is not in a small amount. God's provision for you in every single circumstance is always plentiful. It is always more than enough. And the response of the people is astounding. I've not read this anywhere else in the New Testament. The response of the people is staggering. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The people are astounded at this display of power. They're in awe of it. And this group of people, I mean, 5,000 plus now want to make Jesus their king by force. 
Never, I've not read that anywhere else in the New Testament. Maybe you found it. You can show it to me later. I could not find it anywhere else. This miracle makes the people want to uh, usurp all of the Roman authority, usurp all of the authority that is over them, and to make Jesus king. And what does Jesus do? Jesus sneaks away. Because this wasn't his moment. This wasn't his time for more of his plan more of his power more of his plenty was still to be displayed the sun must have beat down especially hot that afternoon as Jesus climbed that same mountain that Abraham did Only this time, the wood wasn't in his hand, but it was on his back. And the knife wasn't in Jesus' hand, because they had already used every sharp thing they could to rip every little piece of flesh they could off of his back. With a crown of thorns on his head, and the strength that would make Every grown man cower in shame. Jesus carried that cross up that exact same mountain. I imagine around in the same spot. Jesus climbed that mountain. And there they nailed him to the cross. A nail in one hand, a nail in the other. A nail in his feet. This time there would be no other lamb to take their spot because Jesus was the substitute. The penalty had to be paid. Because your sin and my sin, our rebellion against God equaled for us death and hell and separation from him forever and ever in a, in a very real place called hell. And the only way to provide for that was for God to send his only son in his glorious plan to send his only son Jesus to come to this earth to live a perfect life to climb that Mount Calvary to be nailed to the cross for you and for me to die on that cross to be placed in a borrowed tomb to rise on the third day so that he could provide for us this account of Jesus Feeding the 5,000 is a foreshadowing of what is to come, of him going to the cross. It's a fulfillment of the Passover and of the, and of the feeding of the God's people going to the promised land through manna. Is that our God is the provider. He's made a way for you to have a relationship with him. He's made a way for you to have salvation. And today, if you will repent of your sins and call upon Jesus as Lord, you can experience the God who provides. And he doesn't stop there. He's forgiven our sins. He can forgive yours. And then day after day after day, you can experience the provision that only our God, Jehovah Jireh, Jesus, can give.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.